Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's always a balance with players in season with their contracts. You're always trying to strike a balance. You don't. You never want that to be a distraction. For the ultimately, I care about Allen and and you know and his focus. You know, so Allen and I have talked about that. Allen and I have a good relationship. He's a highly intelligent football player. And then, of course, Joey Lane has had regular dialogue uh, with his agents, especially at that point in time. But you know, I think those things. You know, it's a it's a it's a two way street, and those are just things we got we got to work through. You know, and without getting into the details and specifics, but to answer your question, yes, I did talk to Alan about it, and we have had a lot of discussions about it. Hub Arkish and Arthur Arkish on 670 The Score. Welcome back, everybody. We head into the second half of our four-hour Chicago Bears Gab Fest tonight. I am Hub Arkish. My co-host is Arthur Arkish. We are taking your calls all night long, but hang on. I've already left a few of you hanging on the line too long, and we have one more guest this evening who I am most anxious to speak to because he's the only guy I haven't gotten to talk to in the last couple of weeks, and I'm really curious uh, what he's going to have to say and think about all that has gone on in the last couple of weeks, and specifically today, he is our very own Anthony Heron. Big Ant uh, hosts the post-post game show with Olin Krutz after every Bears game. Comes on after Patrick and Manley, uh, Patrick Manley and I uh, have done the prop swap post game show. Uh, and Anthony, I appreciate you taking time out for us this evening. Uh, it's been a wild day here in Chicago and with Chicago Bears football. Uh, the press conference this morning lasted well over an hour and a half, split in half with 41 minutes for George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, and then 43 minutes more for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Uh, and, and I don't want to push you in any direction one way or the other, so I'm not even going to comment on it other than to open by asking you, What's your reaction? I, I'm sure you heard it all. I, I know you've heard a lot of the blowback. Uh, what are your general takes about what we heard today? Well, the, the blowback has been far more entertaining than the media <laughs> session itself, you know, than anything we heard from George McCaskey or Matt Nagy or Ryan Pace or Ted Phillips, which is, is unsurprising. You know, I've, I've been saying it for a couple of weeks now. Pretty much as soon as they – they went on the, the three-game win streak and won three out of the last four and eked into the playoffs. I'm like, all right, they're, they're not going to make any moves. They're not going to get rid of anyone. I certainly felt like they weren't going to get rid of Matt Nagy. And then you know, kind of eventually got to the, the point of, yeah, they're probably not going to move on from Ryan Pace either. And I, I, tend, to, I, I tend to veer more towards the, the, the end of patience with, with moves like this anyway. But I, I certainly don't think that – it would have been inexcusable for them to move on from either guy under the circumstances, just depending on how aggressive a stance you're taking as an organization. But, you know, I, I think um, 
I suppose, you know, moving on from Mark Tressman after two years, I suppose that was that was a move that denoted some urgency um, when, when they did that. But I just I haven't gotten the sense that that they from the top feel like Matt Nagy has lost the locker room to the extent that that Tressman did or that just the the results or lack thereof really tiered in either direction where where they necessarily should be elated about where things stand or that they really want to you know, cycle through coach and GM immediately and that it, it seemed more likely that they were going to sort of give them, I guess, one last gasp at, at whether this pairing of Nagy and Pace could work well. Uh, there's, there's certainly plenty of things, though, that I think could be, could be viewed as, as critical errors that each of them have made that, that I know you and I and Arthur, you know, we've all kind of detailed it in, in some ways and forecasted why they weren't doing certain things with the offense and with the quarterback and now – you know, the system that Mitch was being utilized in. Yeah, I, I just I, I didn't get it. I think they finally made some maneuvers to that end. And then to see the drastic improvement that was there once Bill Lazor started doing some things that many of us have been calling for, that, that is a damning thing for Matt Nagy. It is. How he ends up sort of internalizing that and, and what it manifests into next season, I'll be really curious to see how that portion plays out. But I think Bears fans certainly need to hope that they're – that there have continued to be some lessons learned because you have two guys who were thoroughly inexperienced for the jobs that they initially got. Ryan Pace, first-time GM, Matt Nagy, first-time coach. And the organization is betting on the two of them continuing to improve in those roles. I think there's evidence that each have improved, but improvement on its own doesn't necessarily mean you get to keep the job and just continue to wait around until, you know, until they both get good enough to do it at a, at a really high level. Anthony, certainly the uh, the rigidness or the uh, stubbornness, whatever we want to call it, of, of Matt Nagy and the whole play calling uh, ordeal that you alluded to is one critical error we could discuss, and we can go on. I, th- I mean, I think entering the season with the offensive line the way it was configured, and then uh, you know that's on Ryan Pace, and then having it take so long to settle on a group that really was more functional by the end of the season and requiring injuries. Uh, is probably a knock on pace and the coaching staff. But before we get into uh, any of those and whether you agree, I'm curious because you had kind of uh, mentioned something on Twitter. Some of the hand-wringing maybe with uh, some listeners or fans coming out of the press conference uh, doesn't make a ton of sense to you. I thought we'd open it up for conversation. Yeah. Uh, what is it about football guys and, and Bears fans' <laughs> desire for one and uh, and whether that dynamic is something that is needed and, and prevalent elsewhere around the league, Anthony? Well, structurally, I'm just I'm I'm not completely, and I know there was there were a couple of different questions directed along those lines, and I suppose just as a correction to where the organization is to to potentially bring in another quote unquote football guy or someone with a higher level of knowledge on the sport to be at the senior executive level. I mean, maybe it would help, maybe it would make sense, but I don't think necessarily the structure of the Bears is that dissimilar from the way most NFL franchises operate like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are supposed to be the football guys I don't know that Ted Phillips or George McCaskey because they don't know anything about football I don't see that as some damning thing to the Bears brass that they don't have enough football guys involved in the decision making process I think that they're supposed to hire the football guys and then entrust them to make the football calls call all the football shots and I think structurally that that should be something beneficial to the Bears if they hire the right football guys, which you can obviously make the case that they have not done between Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. Certainly the the level of success or lack thereof that there's been up to this point isn't meeting anyone's expectations. You would think, in theory, shouldn't be meeting the Bears' standards or expectations for where they're at as a, you know, 
one of the great franchises in the NFL. But the fact that Ted Phillips and George McCaskey are the ones hiring football guys, like at some point, to, aside from Jerry Jones in Dallas, I don't know who else would be defined as a football guy that gets to do all the hiring and firing with the organization. So I don't, I don't necessarily know why, why that line of questioning or, or why it seems to have been sort of, I guess, phrased throughout the day as though the Bears are making some error for not having some other football guy overseeing Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy. I, just, I, I feel like that's how most teams are structured, is it not? What do, you, what do you think about that idea, Hub? I mean, I, I would say that maybe Mark Murphy in Green Bay, a bit of a football guy and landed on an in-house promotion with Goody and, and LaFleur. Uh, maybe Rich McKay, a bit of a football guy, but more on the administrative side like Ted Phillips. Where do you land on this? And do you think the dynamic has shifted to where kind of the coach is often identifying uh, his GM at this point? We've seen that in a handful of scenarios. In like past, John Elway uh, is obviously years. a football guy in Denver. If Peyton go. Manning gets a gig, he would be a football guy, but he doesn't have that kind of gig yet. I just, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily the, the norm that you have a, a football guy at the top of the food chain making the decisions for who the GM and the coach are. I, just, I think there's usually suits who don't know that much about the sport, and then they hire people who they expect to be the experts uh, on the football side of things. Well, that's exactly it, Anthony. And and that was one of the points that George was trying to make and made poorly. But but if he had made it correctly, you know, it would be saleable. Ryan Pace is supposed to be the football guy. That's what he's there for. You know, Mark Murphy is really the stand-in for ownership in Green Bay. Uh, You know, he he runs everything because it's a publicly held company and there is no other owner. John Elway's in a similar situation in Denver because that team is currently held in a trust uh, while while the estate of of Pat Bowen continues to fight over who the owner is, you know? Um, And so, uh, you know, Peyton Manning is somebody who is viewed as having John Elway type potential, but let's not forget Elway was his own GM until today, you know, when he brought in George Payton. So uh, I, I, I think that the Bears possibly could benefit from it. Uh, there are guys out there. Omar Khan in Pittsburgh is somebody who fascinates me because Kevin Colbert is, is one of the most successful GMs in the NFL. And, and yet Omar Khan is the vice president in charge of business and football operations. And, appears to be definitely a rung below Colbert, uh, you know, uh, on the org chart, uh, but is in play for some of these, quote, GM jobs. And if you were to bring him in uh, to work with Orion Pace, that could certainly be a really good advantage. The idea of bringing in a former bear the way the Lions brought in Chris Spielman, I don't, I don't care to be honest with you. You know, I just, I, I just, you know, Anthony, I think we're in the same place on that. I, I don't know if it helps or not. You, you yeah. know, I, I, at the end of the day, you, you've got to get it right when you hire a GM and a head coach, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be a football savant to do that. And that, that's what it comes down to. Like, Matt Millen was my GM. I was, I was a part of the Marty Mornenweg experiment. Like, Matt Millen's first year as a GM was my rookie year in Detroit with the Lions in 2001, and obviously Matt Millen famously did not do well as a general manager in the NFL, and Matt was about as much of a football guy as you were going to get. He's, a, he's been an excellent broadcaster over the years, a really good guy. Made a lot of bad decisions, personnel-wise. So having a football guy doesn't guarantee you anything. It would need to be the right football guy who can also operate well as a, as a senior executive for your organization. So I, I certainly, you know, I don't want anyone to, to, to miss my point. I don't think bringing in another football guy to kind of help oversee things, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing for the Bears, but I don't think uh, just for some reason, the discussion throughout the day seemed to 
seemed to be, act as though the Bears were structurally not sound because there, there wasn't another football guy to determine who the football guy as a general manager would be to determine who the football guy would be as a coach. Like somewhere within every organization, there's someone who's not a quote-unquote football guy who's really making the final call on these things. Like, you know, aside from Jerry Jones, like I said, there's not an ownership group or an owner in particular specifically who's a football guy who's kind of overseeing everything. And somewhere there, there's a billionaire or a group of really rich people putting billionaire money together who are the ones responsible for everything and hiring some football guy to look down on it. So I don't, I don't necessarily see that as an issue with the Bears. The issue is them hiring – uh, apparently not hiring people good enough to win more games than they have so far. You know, Anthony, it's funny because I, I was thinking about this today when I was out walking the dogs. I, I, I owned and ran Pro Football Weekly for 35 mm-hmm. years, and, and, and I employed hundreds of people over that time. And I grew up in the football and journalism business and, and, and I think was qualified to, to do the job based on that background and that education. But around the turn of the century, everything in the publishing and media business became computer-based and software-based, and and Mm. you couldn't compete unless you had the latest technology. There is no bigger technology boob in the world than me, (laughs) you know, and and yet it was a reality of my business. And so what I did was I tried to hire the best people, and then I evaluated them based on their performance, the success or failures that we were having, and some worked and some didn't, you know? And so, no, you don't have to be a football savant to hire good managers, whether it's Mm. general manager or head coach, but you do have to have a pretty clear set of, of priorities and goals and targets to judge whether or not they're successful. And I think that's where this thing went off the rails today, is that we didn't hear, in as near as I could tell, anything that that suggested that those clear goals and targets are what George and and Ted based this decision on. I thought one one really, uh, I think, good line of questioning that that you were involved in and several other media members were trying to get to the bottom of that that just the Bears continued to skirt was was the length of contract for both Pace and Nagy. And in the end, I don't think it necessarily matters for the organization, or at least it shouldn't, because when it comes down to it, however long their deals are, once you get to the point where you determine you, you no longer have an interest in them running your outfit, like if you don't think Matt Nagy's the guy and you don't want him to be the coach anymore, then cut the check and get rid of him. Same with Ryan Pace. That how should, that's how it should operate with all these teams. There's only 32 of them. They all got plenty of money to hire and fire people. So once you get to that point, you should be willing and able to move on. So I, I would imagine – that is the case with the Chicago Bears. That being said, and I, I think, Arthur, when I was listening to you guys earlier, I, I really liked the, the way you were, were phrasing things related to how it can still structurally, though, alter how Ryan Pace w- would operate in, in this individual year. You know, does it mean that who, Ryan Pace, who has been aggressive at different points, will be ultra-aggressive because he feels like he's going into the final year uh, with, with a job on the line or with his contract on the line? I would say to that, this should be, and I would imagine that that both Pace and Nagy would be viewing this as a make-or-break season, regardless of how many years remain on their deal. If if they don't, then I think that, and whether they deliver that message publicly or not, I think privately, if Bears brass, if George McCaskey, if Ted Phillips, I don't think they necessarily need to put their finger in somebody's face and say, win this year or you're gone, but there does need to be some sort of a private understanding 
that next season, that this following football season, that there, there will likely be some heads rolling if the results aren't better. And I, I can't imagine that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace wouldn't come out of what we've seen the last two years and feel that. I mean, it's, it is the NFL. They've both been in this league for long enough to know that. And so there may already be that level of urgency, that level of win-now focus, that level of kind of just throw everything against the wall. And if it comes down to perhaps mortgaging the future a little bit, maybe regardless of how many years, whether Ryan Pace has two years left on his deal or four years left on his deal, he may feel that going into this season anyway. So in the results that we see for transactions, I don't know that it'll end up making a big difference, but it is still noteworthy to be able to try and figure that out. So I appreciated the way a lot of you guys on, the, on that Zoom today were trying to get guys and girls, men and women, ladies, <laughs> what have you, that you were trying to get to the bottom of that because it matters. In the end, I think we, I think we can all honestly look at the, the 2021 NFL season as, as something where it'll be either you, you do much better than you've done or one or both of them will probably be gone would be my anticipation. Anthony, do you think that raises false hope for Bears fans? Do you, do you think how much luck uh, needs to be involved in this? I mean, we all watch the same pretty average team throughout yeah. most of this season. Um, because if not, then you could argue that it kind of is only going to compound the people's anger and frustration uh, with this Band-Aid approach for one season versus tearing it all down, saying which, whatever you will about tanking in the NFL, but uh, putting yourself in position to do a full rebuild and set the team up for sustained success. Well, I think I feel like there's a requisite level of talent on the roster to, you know, to, to do some things with it. Mean, it's a team that they can win games that has shown the ability to win games. It's a team that has also shown there's still a gap between at least the way they execute what's available to them and the, the Green Bay Packers and the, the New Orleans Saints for the two most recent examples of the two playoff teams and potential Super Bowl teams that they faced the last two weeks. The, really, the four games, you throw that Lions game after, like, the second game after the bye where they outplayed Detroit most of the game and then, you know, sort of coughed it up late. And then the three-game win streak, we saw a number of games against teams who weren't very good that you could say, all right, th- this is obviously what the Bears should have been looking like. And perhaps if they would have, you know, schematically been doing things different and gotten into this mode earlier, maybe the record's better, maybe you're competing against a different team in the playoffs and you advance further. All those things end up mattering because then the resume – of Matt Nagy, if Ryan Pace looks different as opposed to we made the playoffs two out of three years and haven't done much with it once we got there and missed the play. You know, I think all those things from a decision-making perspective end up making a difference in, in my estimation, the way I see it, because Matt Nagy took so long to allow the offense to be adjusted in, in a way that suits his quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, and suits the offensive line and what they can and can't do well, then it, to me it costs victories over the last two years that could enhance the resume we're all looking at right now with back-to-back 500 seasons and a first-round ouster and a playoff run that wouldn't have been there in any other season in NFL history as a seventh seed. So all those things, the, the delayed thought process, it took the delayed realization to get to that point, affect the way we view all of them at this point. So I, I do believe that for, for the franchise and for the fan base, evaluating what this season will end up looking like, that urgency will be there. I think that that demand for for some version of excellence probably should be felt anyway. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily know that, that that things will operate very differently, you know, kind of regardless of if we have that information or 
or regardless of if they would have moved on? Because I think you can make a case, Arthur, that if they move on and they bring in a coach right now and a new GM right now, you're still in sort of an awkward mode where there's not enough cap space to know for sure you can go out and land a big-time quarterback with a big contract. There's some machinations that would have to happen to make that plausible is my understanding of, of where they're at from a cap perspective. So if you did move on and bring in new blood, there's going to be some coach who really maximizes this roster to do a lot more with it, or you do one more season of continuity, and then you're, you're in a position where a year from now, if it's not working, you're not only tearing down the coach and the general manager, you're probably doing a lot with the roster at that point. you got some guys in who are going to be on the wrong side of 30 by then, contracts that are expiring, all those types of things. So, you know, the Bears, as opposed to here's one year to figure it out, new guy, and then we may have to reshuffle everything anyway, I think they're making the decision, let, let's see what we can get done with the structure in place right now because if it doesn't work, we would probably have to tear it down anyway and, and sort of reshape a lot of things within the franchise and within the roster. Anthony, I'm curious. Uh, you know, th- there were some really good points that could have been made by George and Ted, and, and I, I'm not going to speculate as to why they didn't, uh, but, but one of them is that there are seven other teams hiring new general managers and head coaches. All have been in the market for somewhere between 10 days and three months, and and the Bears would have been late out of the gate after all of them unable to make these changes until the earliest yesterday or Monday. And, and, And possibly another reason to suggest we've invested in these assets. They have done some good things. We aren't as far away as we think. We would have been much worse off in the ability to compete this coming season if we had made these changes, and that's one of the reasons we kept them. Uh, Do you agree with that thinking, or is that suggesting that you should be able to go out and find the right people regardless of who you're competing with and how big the competition is? I would imagine it was at least part of the thought process for why it didn't necessarily seem palatable to to move on at this point. You you make the postseason and where most of us could probably look at the playoff game and say, "Eh, they're probably not, especially with the personnel disadvantages they had going in. They weren't going to make it very far anyway. I think internally, you're far enough along with, you know, Ryan Pace six years in, Matt Nagy three years in, where you need to allow that playoff chase to play out before you really do anything drastic anyway. But I think from, you know, f- from the way the organization would view it, it seems like they usually do, and today was another example of them trying to at least leave the door ajar for the, the quote-unquote vote of confidence. Like they even did that in, in addressing the quarterback position where they didn't definitively say, as far as I could tell, they didn't definitively say Mitch wasn't going to be back. And I think especially Ryan Pace you know, was sort of careful to, to phrase things in a certain way as though – they hadn't definitively moved on from Mitch yet. I know Ted Phillips kind of, you know, mentioned that they, you know, sort of didn't get the the quarterback position all the way right and haven't done as well wins and losses or whatever. But, you know, they uh, they were still being careful with that. And I think that would be a, a part of a factor of why you wouldn't necessarily hear Jordan McCaskey come out and say, well, we'd have been behind the eight ball if we wanted to move on from the coach and GM anyway, because then that's essentially saying that we would have considered it if we felt like it was really on the table. So then you're just sort of undercutting the decision in that case to, to keep Matt Nagy and to keep Ryan Pace simply because of the timing. So I think they're being careful to try and denote confidence or, or at least leave the door ajar to denote confidence, not only in their executives and their head coach, 
but also even in their quarterback, Mitch, because we know Nick Foles is going to be back contract-wise. They could be in a scenario where they have to bring Mitch back too, so they were even being careful about that. Anthony, we really appreciate your time. I know we don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to squeeze in one more until I at least get cut off here. Uh, any thoughts on the uh, Chuck Pagano's departure and uh, if you have any uh, early uh, in or out-of-house favorites to potentially succeed him? Um, I mean, you know, I, I think Chuck Pagano has shown himself to be a quality NFL coach over the years. Um, and, and what he's done it here in Chicago, there were certainly some good moments. Last season, the defense regressed a little bit, but it's hard not to regress from everything we saw them accomplish in 2018 uh, with Vic Fangio. Regressed a little bit last year, regressed even more this year, even before you come out of the bye week and things really took a bigger step back. But even the initial weeks of the season where they were porous against the run game, obviously Eddie Goldman was, you know, you could point to that as, as an individual roster reason for why the run defense wasn't shored up, but you weren't seeing the productivity from pass rush. You know, Khalil Mack, the amount of attention folks pay to him, Robert Quinn, that acquisition not working out and those types of things. So th- there's a number of things that could be pointed to um, as far as just individual players a part of that regression. But when it comes down to it and, you know, whether they were sort of, you know, urging the, the, the retirement of Chuck Pagano, if it was truly an, an individual decision, either way, they needed more out of the resources that had been invested in that defense. You know, like it's one thing to say the offensive line is porous. You really haven't invested much in the O-line, so it's a little more explainable why that's porous. You know, I, I think that the defense, they put a lot of money up front, put a lot of money in that secondary. You need more than they've gotten from that, and so they're going to have an opportunity. I've heard, you know, the name Jay Rogers comes up a lot. We know how successful the defense, the D-line has been overall, but the D-line – is a part of that that regression. So I don't, you know, and and frankly, and I don't know if Jay Rogers has coached other positions at this level or not, but just to be clear, coaching D-line, you're coaching the least mentally taxing of the the 22 true positions. Like not specialists, but between offense and defense, D-line is the least mentally taxing position to coach. So Jay Rogers, he may know how to call coverages, when to dial up pressure and, and all those things, and he may understand route combinations offensively. I don't know that for sure, and, and I would say that at least just what I know, I, I, he seems to be a good D-line coach from the results that have been there on the field from a variety of guys, not just starters but backups as well. I, I would be curious, and it would be worth looking into, and I'm sure if the Bears were going to interview him to, to maybe just make an internal sort of ascension to, to becoming the defensive coordinator, they obviously have a sense for whether or not he has coached other positions and really has a, a, a good broad understanding of the wider scope of how you need to call a full defense because it's one thing to go DB coach to D coordinator or linebacker coach to D coordinator. Those position groups have to have a really macro view of things, not so much on the D line. Just to be clear with everybody, I think you know this, but Anthony's earned the right to to make those evaluations of working with the big uglies. Uh, Arthur and I haven't, so uh, <laughs> but I do get exactly where you're coming from, man. Listen, I don't know if Julio told you I was going to keep you through two segments when he asked you to come on. I just went and did it, so forgive me for that. Uh, we have taken more of your time than I asked for it. I really appreciate it, Anthony. Uh, I think that we're all, all of us uh, score football guys are going to have some extended service uh, in January this year, even though the team isn't playing anymore. So uh, I'm sure that we will be talking again very soon. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Uh, Stay healthy and uh, we'll look forward to talking again real soon. Uh, Arthur, it is always my pleasure. Appreciate you guys. 
That is Big Ant, Anthony Heron. We are going to take a break here. Guys, we've got an hour and a half left, and I know some of you are mad at me because you called up and then got stuck on hold. No more guests. So if you dial us up on the BetQL listener line with your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, your outrage, your satisfaction, whatever it may be, you're going to be on the air. We're going to get you on pretty quickly. So give us a call. 312-644-6767 is the BetQL listener line. You can also get into our Hyundai text zone by texting us at 312-644-6767. We take this quick commercial break, and then we're back with more Bears talk right here on The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. There are a number of people that I trust and respect in the league. Just a few of them, certainly not an inclusive list, are uh, John Mara, Art Rooney, and Michael Bidwell. They've been through these types of situations, and it's an unusual dynamic in the NFL, I think. I think people are reluctant to tell other people how they should run their business. But um, those three in particular have been very helpful whenever I've had a question or a concern or ask them for advice or to share their experiences. And um, I've, I've found their feedback to be very helpful. Hub Arkish and Arthur Arkish on 670 The Score. There is plenty of smoke on the water tonight in Chicago uh, as the Chicago Bears held a press conference today and lit pretty much a giant bonfire. Not so much, I think, with the decision to retain Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, although there is a significant portion of Bears Nation that is unhappy about that. Nobody's actually done a, a... reliable or dependable study to say whether it's the majority, the minority, 50%, but it's a big group. We know that. Um, and and one of the things that I asked George, uh, since he, he insisted that, that he and Ted have little to do, nothing to do with the football operation, is who he relies on to do these evaluations, uh, or if he has folks that he relied on. Uh, he said that he did, and he explained that it was some people around the league, other owners, members of his family, fellow owners of the Bears. And then with a follow-up question later, asked who they were. That was George's response. Uh, Arthur, what struck me about that is that we, we know that the McCaskey family, the Rooney family, the Mara family, the Bidwell family, these are all the old-line heritage franchises in the NFL. The families are close. And when you look at some of the success that the Maras and Rooneys have had, I think it's great that, that George is able to rely on them. But what also struck me about this is that the Bidwell family has done a worse job than the McCaskey family. So I, I'm not sure why I would be relying on Michael Bidwell uh, but obviously it's just somebody that, that, that George has struck up a relationship with. Uh, but that was uh, where that soundbite came from. I do want to tell you guys that, that Jim and Schomburg and Joe and DeKalb are my new favorite Bears fans, at least for the moment, uh, because they have stuck with us for quite a while now holding on the phone. So we're going to talk to Jim and Joe right now in that order. Anybody else who wants to join them, there will be no long, uh, lo- there will no longer be anyone stuck in purgatory uh, holding on the phone lines. We're going to get to everybody rapid fire now for the next hour and a half or so. The BetQL listener line is 312-644-6767. 
I am Hub Arkish, my co-host Arthur Arkish. We're sitting in for Joe Ostrowski on the Joe O Show tonight. And let's get to the phone lines as promised. Uh, Jim in Schomburg, thank you so much for hanging on, man. I'm sorry we left you there so long. What can we do for you tonight? Hey, Jim. Uh, hey, hey, Pop, you know, I got a question. Do I see the Bears, the games, differently than everybody else? Okay. For example, I see that it's Nagy. Let's say it's Nagy. Why? Okay, this is my opinion. A good coach takes the game plan and he addresses it to the strengths of the players. Nagy is trying, it seems, to make Trubisky his, uh, make him do what Nagy wants, and for some reason, it's not playing to his strengths. You said yesterday that <clears throat> that Foles was in there, and he didn't have no, no. Uh, for, at the beginning of the year, there was no. Uh, what's the word I want to say? <clears throat> uh, there was no practices or anything like that. Yeah, no off season, no OTAs, no mini camps. Right, right. Exactly. Go ahead. But but Trubisky didn't have that either. Mm-hmm. Trubisky has the ability, and he has. He's. I think he's a better quarterback than Foles. Well, you have to look at how many games Foles has played versus how many games Trubisky has played. You look at the coaches that they have. The difference, I think, too. If you had, if you had what, if you have one of these upper quarterbacks like Malone or something like that, they wouldn't reach the potential that they're reaching with other teams because of the way the Bears are coaching. And what is well, your opinion? Yeah, Jim, I, I, I think we may be saying a couple different things there. Um, I agree with you that, that, that Matt has been stubborn and too slow to adjust. Uh, he was brought here. In, now, in fairness to Matt Nagy, the reason he was hired was to bring the Andy Reid Kansas City offense, of which he was the coordinator, with him. And that is what he has tried to do. And he went slowly in 2018 and had tremendous success with it as they went 12 and four. And then as he tried to expand on it last year, it's, it failed to work and Mitch started going backwards. So um, there are a lot of, of, of traits and talents that you look for in a head coach, Arthur. And, and, and this is not the only one. There are other things that I think Matt Nagy has done well, but Jim is absolutely correct. You know, Matt was stubborn and he was too slow to realize that Mitch was not flourishing in his offense, that they did have certain traits and certain skills uh, that might allow him to run a different type offense uh, better. And so what they did coming out of the bye uh, was they went from more of an inside zone read to an outside zone read running attack. Uh, they put Mitch under center where, ironically, you know, when he got here from North Carolina, he'd never played under center. He had always been in the shotgun, so they had to teach him that. Uh, and, and while Matt's offense that he wants to run does require more shotgun, uh, Mitch was more effective under center. And so they made the adjustment that allowed them to do more bootlegs, rollouts, nakeds, uh, uh, play action, you know, which was the biggest focus of the improved offensive play. Uh, so, you know, once he did it, he showed some coaching chops in, in being able to make it work, but he was too slow to adjust. Now, the, but the second thing, uh, that Jim said about, you know, Mitch being a better quarterback than Nick Foles. I, I think probably what he meant, Arthur, was that he has more athleticism, a better arm, better traits. But when you look at Nick Foles, who was a Pro Bowl starter, or not a starter, but he was one of the Pro Bowl uh, electees in 2013. He didn't go as an alternate. 
and when he became the Super Bowl and MVP in 2017, I think it's a little hard to argue that Mitch is a better quarterback than Nick Foles. Yeah, and I think it's easy to argue that they're both, uh, you know, take away one Super Bowl MVP, one Pro Bowl, and one alternate Pro Bowl, or whatever Mitch made it in as. Uh, they're, they're not good enough to, to elevate their teammates on a consistent basis, which means the Bears failed in identifying them as possible solutions here. So uh, I think that both things can be true, and, and there's no question in my mind about the first one, that Matt Nagy uh, was too slow to adjust. I mean, we've been saying it on these airways for however long. And, oh, by the way, that uh, adjustment, once it finally happened, it also made a struggling offensive line better. It made an underused running back better. So, yeah, I mean, the improvement was across the board and, of course, should have happened much, much sooner. Uh, but I also think that the jury, if it hasn't reconvened, is, is getting ready to uh, in saying that Mitch Trubisky is just too limited uh, to be a, a prototype franchise quarterback, unfortunately. And, uh, uh, and that was a miss. You know, it doesn't mean I'm not intrigued to see what happens next in his career. Uh, but ideally, if you have a true franchise guy, uh, if he's not scheme transcendent, uh, certainly he's not as limited uh, as Mitch has appeared to be over the past four years. Joe out in DeKalb also got stuck on hold way too long. Joe, I really do apologize for that, but I really appreciate you hanging out. We're excited to get to talk with you. Uh, what's on your mind this evening? And thank you for calling. Hey, Hub. Um, my pleasure. Actually, to talk to you and Arthur are, is a great. The dynamic duo is back together again, so <laughs> no problem holding. Um, couple points hub um you know thank you for the great job in the press conference today um you know that being said um i will say that you know sort of being in the same community that that george lives in and i've met him and his wife and they're really nice people i want george to be successful but my first question is hub you know knowing the organization and the players as well as you do um why do you think the Bears have been such an unmitigated, you know, public relations disaster that they've been in situations like this? And and secondly, um, you know, given what we learned today, um, do you really think that that Ryan and and and, and Matt were put on notice? And, and you know, and that being said, what do you expect them to do out of the box uh, as it relates to roster movement going forward? Joe, you know, it's interesting that you know George and say those things. Um, I'm going to try and give you the, the most honest and, and unfettered answer the, that I can because these are all folks that I work with. I have known George, uh, you know, basically for, for 35 to 40 years now. Um, you know, knew him throughout his time as the ticket manager uh, and now as the chairman over these last eight, nine seasons. And, uh and I want to say the same thing about George and Ryan and Matt. Um, these guys are really good people, you know, and I really like them a lot. I mean, you know, football is our job. It's not who we are. Uh, and, and that's what makes some of this so tough. And, and one of the things I like about these guys is that, yeah, you know, we, we put them on the grill today. Uh, but if I saw them tomorrow, I'm quite confident everything will be fine because I respect them and I like them. And it's just unfortunate that we've been in a position these last 24 hours where we're so focused on the negatives. There's a bunch of positives, you know, that we're not talking about. So um, it really does make it tricky. And then, you know, when you get to, to what you called PR, it's media relations, it's public relations, it's whatever it may be. Um, these are also folks that I'm working with every day, and I really like these guys. 
Um, but the simple reality is that the communication between the Bears organization and their fan base is nowhere near as good as it could be, and it's probably not as good as the majority of, of the other teams in the league. It is an area where the organization has struggled. And it's not necessarily because the PR people are bad at what they do or they don't have the answers. It's because that from the top flowing down, there is not one consistent message that has everybody on the same page that is one they can sell to their fan base. And, and um, you know, Arthur, a, a lot of this was exacerbated again by the pandemic this year, by the fact that everything we've done has been via Zoom. We're, we haven't been allowed uh, on the premises for about six, seven weeks now. And even when we were, were the, the, the first half of the season, we couldn't, you know, we didn't have free reign to go where we always went. We were never in the locker room. Uh, you know, none of the unstructured stuff where you get some of your best information. And, and so um, I, I, I keep coming back to it. Fans don't want to hear it. But the pandemic has changed so much of what we do um, that it has particularly made public relations and communication difficult this year because we're not getting the same access that we always have. And it's been much harder uh, to get the full story, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, that's the same restrictions that every team has been dealing with. But as yeah. you said, not every team uh, has struggled a little bit in this regard, uh, you know, preceding the pandemic, certainly. So I don't have the answer as to why, but we've hit on it a few times in the show already. For whatever reason, sometimes the Bears just choose not to make their lives a little bit easier. It seems like they want to make it more difficult. For instance, Ryan Pace, having shown his face today for the first time since, well, the summer, I believe, right? Yeah, there was no bi-week press conference. Uh, Labor that Day. Would just, yeah. Labor Day. <laughs> well, that would just be a cool thing to do that plenty of NFL teams do. And for whatever reason, Ryan Pace, whether he's truly worried about competitive advantages, whether he is just not comfortable in that setting, uh, has chosen not to, and it hasn't done uh, himself any favors, hasn't done the fans any favors. So it's little things like that. I mean, it's, it, I would just echo what you said. It's not like these PR guys aren't talented and experienced enough. Um, there just isn't a, a consistency. There isn't uh, logic always used in some of the things that feel like they should be a lot easier um, to figure out, for lack of a better explanation there. Yeah, I mean, I would not want a situation like you have in Dallas where, where Jerry Jones is everywhere and everything flows through him. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'll tell you, you look down the road and, and one of the best media relations operations in the world is in Indianapolis. And one of the smartest owners is Jim Ursay. And, you know, Jimmy, uh, Jim Ursay, uh, he, he's quite the character. And so there are some things about him that, that people will uh, have fun with. Um, but, but he is available to his fan base. He is available to the media. I have said it repeatedly. I think Ryan does himself a tremendous disfavor uh, by making his communication uh, with the media so rare. Uh, he is, uh, we talk to Ryan uh, as we did today at the end of each season. We get to talk to him again, usually at the Combine. If you're at the Combine, there won't be a Combine this year. I'm almost certain of that. We do get some good one-on-one -on -one time with him at the owners' meetings, but, but only a small segment of the Bears media goes to the owners' meetings for budget reasons and because of expense. Uh, and then there usually is a pre-draft press conference. 
Then the only other time that we get to talk to Ryan Pace is at the beginning of training camp and after the final cuts on Labor Day. And he didn't talk with us about the final cuts on Labor Day until last year for the first time in his fifth year with the Bears. And so um, it's his decision, and I'm sure he has his reasons, but I think it's a big part of the problem in communicating with Bears fans and with the media. And it's something that would be easily fixable but they have chosen not to for whatever reason. So, so that's one that all I can do is report it. I can't really, uh, Joe, come up w- with, with a good answer for you as to why it is. Let's get and to I, Don I on Hubbard, the North. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. I think uh, Jim, I think it was, and Schomburg also had uh, a question about potential outside-the-box roster moves. So while it is super early uh, to really wrap our, our arms around that one, I would, I would quickly put out a tag and trade of Allen Robinson because it seems like uh, – this thing may have run its course here, uh, and I just know that they can't let a talent like that get away without getting something in return, especially if they're in an all-in season. That's a way to kind of uh, push forward any potential compensatory draft picks. That's one thing uh, I would put in fans' heads as a strong possibility uh, to consider as a tag-and-trade, not something you see uh, every year per se. It's a good call, Arthur. I, the, the reason I would be very leery of it is because, as I pointed out earlier in the show, almost every team in the league is going to be faced with the same cap issues as the Bears. And and you'd hate to tag him with the idea of trading him and then not being able to trade him uh, and being forced to rescind the tag and let him walk. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Because I I just don't see how the Bears, with their cap issues, can afford to, to have him uh, on the roster this year under the franchise tag. But, but uh, it, you know, we'll see. You know, Ryan did make the comment today that there's always ways to make adjustments against the cap. Yep. The problem with that is that it's true, but it creates bigger cap issues down the road. And that's why this issue of how long his contract runs is so significant, you know, is to know whether he's in a position to do that or not. Um, but, but I apologize, Jim. I, I just... With the Bears cap situation right now and their own free agents, I don't even know where to start, you know, with other, you know, potentially big moves. That's something we're going to need at least the next month or two to determine. The first thing that's going to happen, the Bears are going to have cap casualties. Uh, They're going to have to. It's the only way they're going to get under the cap. Um, And and my best guess, because I've done some research on this, is that they will release uh, Charles Leno, Bobby Massey. Uh, I really thought they'd release Jimmy Graham. That's a $7 million cap savings. But I think they'd like to avoid that at this point because he turned out to be a better addition than people expected. And he also has a great fit uh, with Cole Komet, you know, and, and, and that could be an area of big improvement in the offense in 2021 if they're able to keep those two together. Uh, I think Buster Screen will be a cap casualty. Um, uh, there are some who have their eyes on Kyle Fuller and Akeem Hicks, but I just don't see how that makes sense since you have not elected to to blow it up this year and you do want to contend uh, for another season. But there's going to be at least one really surprising cap casualty. So the other name I'd keep in mind is Danny Trevathan. That'd be a shame because not only is he a a, a key team leader and a great individual, but after looking like he might have been done the first four or five weeks of the season, he had an excellent second half of the season. He can still play. Him and Roquan uh, are still in many respects the key to that defense. But with his uh, roughly $8 million, just somewhere between 7 and $8 million cap hit, if you're going to have cap casualties, they got to be big enough contracts to make a difference. Um, and, and the guys who carry those deals uh, are, are Leno and Massey and Graham and, and Trevathan. Uh, and then again, you know, possibly 
um, uh, a Hicks or a Fuller. I don't see that. But of those first four, just to get where you need to be to have some flexibility, you got to get rid of at least three of them, you know, and, and so we'll see which guys those turn out to be. Now, now you don't rule out the possibility of re-signing them on more favorable deals uh, once they've tested the market. But when you cut a guy as a cap casualty, it's pretty unusual to be able to get him back. We're going to take a commercial break here. We've got another full hour of nothing but your phone calls. Don to John's. John in Barrington, John on the south side. Shoddy's out in his car. Ed in Sleepy Hollow. Gino, getting to all of you guys rapid fire as soon as we get back from this very quick break right here at 670 The Score. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 